and welcome to the Bear Podcast. This is your host, Susan Hyatt. This is Season 2, Episode 4. The Bear Podcast is a show where we talk about your body and your life. On this episode, we're getting into a big topic, which is religion, specifically how religion can shape the way we think about our bodies. (laughs) Whoa, ladies, we could probably do 1,000 episodes on this topic. I actually took several classes in college on women and religion. There's a lot to discuss, but let's dive right in. Our first segment is called Big Questions. Usually for this segment, I choose a question from a client or from a woman in my Bear Daily membership program, and then I answer. And this episode is slightly different because today we're diving into a more philosophical question. Is religion good for our bodies and our self-esteem? There are approximately 4,200 different religions in the world, and every religion has its own rules and traditions and customs. And in certain religious traditions, women are instructed to be completely covered with clothing, with nothing exposed except for their hands and face. And in other traditions, women are told that they should never be touched by a man for any reason, not even a handshake, unless it's their husband. And in other traditions... Women are told that if a man gives them unwanted attention or kisses or touches them without permission, it is always the woman's fault for tempting the man. It's her fault for provoking his behavior. There are some religious traditions that say if you're menstruating, then you are dirty and you will defile everything you touch and make it impure. And then there are some communities that allow a matriarchal religion, communities that worship a female god, the mother goddess or the great goddess, and so on. I could go on and on. My point is, there are thousands of traditions and hundreds of thousands of rules and beliefs about women. Beliefs about the woman's role in the household and in society. Beliefs about women's bodies and what women are supposed to do and not do. And I'm here to say, be religious or don't be religious. And I'm certainly not here to impose my personal beliefs on you. Your spirituality is personal and your faith is entirely up to you. But whoever you are and whatever type of spiritual tradition you follow, I invite you to be curious to be contemplative, and to explore how religion may have shaped some of those beliefs you have about your body and your self-worth. Here are some questions that I've contemplated over the years, questions that perhaps you'd like to contemplate too. What are some of the most vivid memories you have when it comes to religion? Moments, conversations, celebrations, punishments, memories that stand out strongly in your mind. Within your spiritual or religious community, what kinds of things were you taught about your body, about food, about sex, about desire, and what's okay to do and not do? Were you taught to feel ashamed about certain things? Were you taught to be meek, quiet, and obedient, and never make a scene? Were you taught that if a man behaves, it's probably your fault? Were you taught that it's your duty to please your husband and satisfy his needs, Even if you don't want to, were you taught that your most important role in life is to give birth and procreate? Were there any religious or spiritual ideas that gave you a feeling of power, purpose, that make you feel stronger? How do you think religion has shaped the way you think about yourself, 
You can think about those questions. You can get a journal and write out your feelings, your memories, or discuss those questions amongst friends that you trust. It can be really interesting to dive in and see where some of your beliefs came from and if those beliefs are still working for you or not. Personally, I was raised Catholic. And as a grown woman, I found that there are certain aspects of my religious background that I resonate with, and there are certain aspects that simply do not work for me. I've decided to keep what works for me and release the rest. I believe that God, universe, spirit, whatever term you prefer, is not vengeful and full of wrath and punishment. I believe that God wants us to love our bodies and enjoy our bodies and experience all kinds of pleasure. Pleasure from food, pleasure from music, from art, from travel, from beauty, from nature, from friendships, from sex. All the pleasure that this world has to offer, God wants to see us thrive and do great work and be happy. I believe God wants to see us dancing, laughing, painting, singing, supporting one another, helping one another. I believe God wants us to bloom wide open, to be courageous and brave, not hide or shrink or feel shame. I believe God is watching and wants us to know your body is a miracle. Enjoy it. Decorate it. Love it. That's what I believe. You can believe whatever you want to believe, but I hope you can find a belief system that gives you space to love yourself and enjoy your body. I hope you find a belief system that expands your confidence and expands your self-esteem and expands your power instead of causing pain and shame. That's my hope for you. Amen. Our next segment is called Tell Me Everything, and this is where I chat with an amazing woman that I love, and we have a conversation about food, feminism, fitness, sex, or something else that I'm dying to talk about. And today we're chatting with the amazing Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin. She's the founder and CEO of Gaia Project Consulting and the founder of the Gaia Project for Women's Leadership. She's the host of Resistance Live. If you're not watching that daily, you need to on Facebook and the Women's Leadership Podcast. Here we go. All right. Welcome, everybody. I'm super jacked up today because we have my friend Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin here, and she is such a star, and she is such a powerhouse. And uh, Elizabeth, I can't thank you enough for coming on here to talk about some bareness. I am so excited to be here. It's a thrill. <laughs> so you're somebody, you are a powerful woman in the public eye. And a lot of the bare process is about for women being comfortable being seen and making a scene. Mm -hmm. And that's something you do on a daily basis. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because your resistance live, I mean, how many followers and viewers do you have now? Well, so all put together across all platforms, we're at like about 200, 250, 250,000, somewhere in that neck of the woods. There are days where we get like 100,000 people watching the broadcast within 24 hours. It's pretty nuts. Live, and we're usually around, you know, a few thousand, but yeah. It's pretty crazy. It's amazing. And so I have watched from the beginning, um, obviously this platform grow and um, 
am thrilled about it, but what I'm not so thrilled about is observing some of the stuff that you have to put up with being yeah. a woman in the public eye. Not to mention, I mean, put all of the issues and your belief systems aside, just the fact that you are a woman on camera, your, um, your beauty, your body mm-hmm. is commented on on a regular basis. Every day, every day, yeah. And it's, and it's noticeable because it comes from one of two angles. You know, there's the very supportive side of it, which is usually from, you know, my really powerhouse women followers who will say everything from your hair looks awesome today or fabulous makeup to you look really tired, you should go take a nap. And all of that comes from a very good place. Right. And the flip side of it is that we, you know, we often have uh, a few folks on the other side of the political spectrum, let's put it that way, who pop in now and again, a few trolls and sometimes even a few of those famous Russian bots. And um, what's interesting is that the way that they usually come for me is with critiques of my appearance. So yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, at the beginning it was a little bit rough because it can feel very personal until you realize that it's being designed to hurt. Like that's kind of the point. And so it's not actually about your appearance or who you are or your own body or how you feel. It's just designed to, to hit and make a mark basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a lot of good people behind me now on my team who take care of those folks very fast. Right, <laughs> right. Well, isn't it interesting? And this is, I mean, from the time of being a, a small girl, um, recognizing that, you know, if, if they can't come for your intellect, which they can't, and they can't come for your credentials or your training, because they can't, right? They're gonna go for a woman's appearance. Yep. Every time. Every, Every time. time. Yeah. And you know, it's it. I find it to be really insidious because it is. It it reinforces all the notions that we were raised with in this culture, right? That like, if you don't look a certain way, or you don't fit into a certain box, or you're not exactly specific within a certain type of mold, that you're not good enough, no matter what else goes with it, right? And I even think about it in the context of my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It, People so harmlessly say to her, oh, you're so pretty or you're getting more beautiful every day. And I always find myself having to say, and smart, right? (laughs) Right. And uh, like amazing and strong and bold and brave and all that other sort of good stuff. Um, But, you know, it's, it's a way of kind of getting under our skin because the messaging that we've had in this culture since we were really little girls is that that's the, that's the thing that we're judged on first and always and often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that I was trying to explain to my husband, actually, because he's sort of like, why are women, you know, a lot of guys are like, why are women like this to one another? And I was like, no, 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 no. It is the system and the structure that we're raised in that we are competition for one another and that our commodity is how we appear. And so that like, you know, our power is in manipulation and how we look and not in uh, of course, you and I, and many other others of us are out to change that, but, yeah. but that's what we're trading on. And so yeah. it's so interesting when I watch you on Facebook Live, you know, breaking down every day what's happening in American politics so brilliantly, and people want to talk about your hair. Or, right. or my boobs. That's the other thing that oh, comes Oh, your boobs, right. Hair. Your boobs. <laughs> I'm wearing a high-collared sweater today, but you are looking so beautiful today, my dear, by the way. I just want to say, it's like I always have to comment. You know, here's the thing. I feel like there's a way in which we do need to lift each other up around this stuff, right? You know, like I don't mind the compliments being paid to me. What I mind is the stuff that is, you know, just 
so aggressive, right? That, and, and, you know, in the context of saying like, you are smart and beautiful, you know, like you are capable and beautiful and everyone is, by the way, I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm reminded of in the, in the nature of this conversation is that um, there's a balance to be struck there in the way that we as women deal with each other. Like I have a very good friend who said to me, at one point, my mother never told me I was beautiful while I was growing up. She always told me I was smart. She always told me I was capable, but she never told me I was beautiful. And to me, that made me feel like I was flawed, right? So there has to be a balance in these things, right? I feel like we ought to be able to support and lift one another up in like the beautiful bodies that we all live in. Um, and at the same time, we also need to be really mindful of not replicating what patriarchy has taught us about all of that. Right. So, um, the good news is that the only people who tend to comment on my boobs are the kind of Russian trolls and bots and we get them very fast that way. (laughs) Well, now I'm going to have to make a point, Elizabeth, to go on a Facebook live and comment about your boobs in an authentic and admirable way. Hey, hey girl. So um, we were talking before I started and hit record about what it has been like for you. You know, one of the things I talk with people about is like, you know, what kind of messaging do you remember, whether it was through family of origin or culture or peer group? And you were saying, you know, I really didn't have any, I was pretty blessed with not having any body issues until... Until I got pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny because I, I waited to get pregnant until late in life. I had my daughter at 40 and my son at 42. I was, I got pregnant with my son when my daughter was six months old. So this was all very close together. And, you know, those of you out there who are listening, who have had kids later in life know that being pregnant over 40, I am told anyway, is very different from being pregnant in your twenties and your thirties, let alone doing two back to back let alone two back-to-back C-sections, which is what I did. And, um, and it's funny how, you know, having been fortunate enough to be raised in a family where, you know, body issues were not part of our dynamic, right? Like, I don't, and I don't know how I got so lucky, right? You know, I was like a classically trained ballet dancer for 16 years, and I was like the only girl in my class that didn't have an eating disorder. Somehow the messaging came through in ways that were healthy. And I was really, I feel so fortunate about that, that like, I don't have issues with food. I, you know, there's just never been any of that in my dynamic, but I will tell you that, you know, going from being somebody who naturally has always been pretty fit, you know, I had a seven day a week yoga practice before I got pregnant to putting on like, you know, probably like an extra two thirds of my normal body weight in pregnancies. And then like, you know, ending up having a very hard time kind of getting back to where I wanted to be and getting stabilized and all the stress and pressure of not sleeping and food, not being consistent and that sort of stuff. It was a whole new world for me. Um, And it, you know, it required me to really sort of reevaluate how much, how much pressure um, have I put myself under since then? right? Like I may not have had to worry about it luckily enough from the standpoint of feeling judged or judging myself until that point. But since then has been a whole other ball of wax. And you add to that kind of aging and, you know, it, it kind of, it puts things in a new dynamic. I, I, what I will say about it is that, um, you know, I feel it, it's made me much more conscious of the fact that when we feel good in our bodies, we present differently in the world that, you know, that thing that I always talk about in the women's leadership work I do is about, how when we change the inside, we change the outside. And that may not necessarily mean like your physical exterior, but it may mean the way that you show up as a leader, the way that you present energetically. If you're feeling good in your own skin, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here with you, Susan, but you know, you, you sh- the way you feel in your own skin changes everything, right? Um, and so the lessons for me around that were about like, am I good enough, quote unquote, am I good enough if like, 
the extra 20 pounds of baby weight isn't going anywhere for five years. Like, am I good enough now that I'm like having to deal with the after effects of two C-sections in two years, right? Like all of that. And, and it's been an interesting debate internally. Um, I will say that um, it made me rethink quite a bit, you know, the way in which I wanted to talk about this sort of stuff, right? Um, and it also kind of, in, in many ways, of course, motherhood changes everything, right? It also made me really mindful of my self-talk through that, you know, with, in front of my daughter and my son, right? You know, because I've never been one of those people who will verbally, you know, I've never called myself fat. I've never done any of that sort of stuff articulated. But um, I've also made a point, for instance, with my daughter, even on days where I wasn't feeling particularly good in my own skin, of doing this thing that we have done before, like after bath time since she was a very little girl, which is to look in the mirror and say like, who are we? You know, we're two smart, pretty ladies, two strong, pretty ladies, two brave, pretty ladies. You know, and even if there was a moment there where I wasn't feeling that, I was going to sure as hell show up in a way that led my daughter to know that no matter what might be going on there, I was going to, I was going to show her that it was okay to be me in this body and, and still feel strong and beautiful and brave and all that other sort of good stuff. That's really beautiful. I love that. And, and, you know, I agree with you, no matter what size a woman is feeling amazing about it, you present in such a different way than if you're having this inner dialogue about it. And I, and there's, and I don't think that there's a woman alive who hasn't had inner dialogue where she didn't talk about herself in a loving right. appreciative way and it and it is interesting like listening to you talk about having pregnancies back to back later in life and and what came to my mind was all the pressure we see in magazines and online about get, getting your pre-baby body back right. and and like why is that even a thing right right, right? like we're mothers now and that doesn't mean that we can't like I'm a runner I go to the gym it doesn't it doesn't mean that we can't love and appreciate our bodies and also be working towards you know being stronger but it's just interesting where we get these ideas that we have to bounce right back right right and the aging thing you know that that we're also taught that the aging face and the aging body is not beautiful yep and um, I'm really out to disrupt that because, you know, I, I'm certainly not old. I'm turning 45, but I am aging just like everybody else. And it's interesting to observe where previously when my mind would go to stuff about body and I've cleaned that stuff up, how it has pivoted towards aging mm -hmm. and how interesting it is to watch my mind to watch me question my own mind about like, oh, well, you didn't have those crow's feet before, you, your neck didn't do that before, or, you know, oh, oh, like you're, <laughs> but this bathing suit looks different this year. Um, and how interesting it is that we get the idea that we should be young, we should bounce back to this pre-pregnancy body, right. that we should appear in a certain way. Right. Well, and, and you know, it's all about the commodification of our bodies in a lot of ways, right? Because mm -hmm. younger, younger women of certain body types, of certain ethnicities, of certain kind of like, you know, whatever, all the things that are put on us um, are more highly valued than others, right? And all of that is arbitrary. That's the other thing that's so crazy to me about it is it's like that there, there are other cultures where, you know, other than American culture and Western cultures where, you know, being beautiful and round and big is a sign of, you know, wonderful things, right? Height of attraction. And 
you know, the lens through which we view these things, it's so internalized. That's the thing that kills me about it is that like, we don't even need people to say that to us, the kind of negative stuff to us. Sometimes we repeat it in our heads so often. Um, and I agree with you, like disrupting this is absolutely necessary because the other thing about it is just why isn't getting older beautiful, right? Why isn't greater wisdom and all the signs of the things that have made us laugh and cry and, you know, have impacted us being worn on our faces? Why isn't that a sign of something wonderful, you know? So I think we have to do the work inside ourselves on all of that. And also we have to model it to others. And to me, leading by example on that is really important. And I also want to say that um, it feels really important to me. I don't know if you followed the whole debate that Gloria Steinem was involved in a, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, where um, somebody had called her out as having um, you know, had some plastic surgery or done Botox or something like this. And she made a point of saying, no, I actually haven't done that, but it's my body, right? Like right. I have dominion over it. Like if I had chosen to do that, still my body, right? right. Like, I have dominion over those kind of choices too. And, um, and that, that's interesting to me because I do feel like even in the realm of wanting to critique this idea that we all have to be young and skinny and white and, you know, all the other things that be valuable in this culture that, you know, are constantly reiterated through toxic, toxic racist patriarchy. We also have to be mindful that, you know, our dominion over our own bodies is constantly under threat in this country. And so mm -hmm. we need to remind ourselves, I think, that um, we still get to make our own choices, right? And I think those two things have to be in balance and in harmony. And the easiest way in my mind, by the way, to attack all of this stuff is to stop critiquing other women on their appearance. Thank you. Absolutely. Amen. You know that like with me, I have this private community. It's called Bear Daily. Mm -hmm. And that is a judgment free zone. And so if you are in there and you want to talk about that you just got Botox or you, you are saying you want to lose weight, yeah. there is no judgment in my world around that because it's your body and you get to make those decisions. Right. Um, and it's interesting how even within the body positivity movement, because I certainly have been subjected to it, yeah. um, just like with feminists, Right, like you're you're too feminist for some, not feminist enough for others. Within body positivity, I'm right in the middle where I think you can love and appreciate your body and also want to change it. Just like we can love and appreciate our country and yep. also want to change it. Yep. Um, and um, and and boy, like the daggers come out with yeah. any any conversation around weight loss. And I believe that, that there is a place for weight loss if it's coming from a place of, you know, um, I, I, there's a woman I love who was going through a terrible marriage and had lost her job. And she was sitting in this red comfy chair in her house every day watching soap operas and eating little Debbie cakes. Mm -hmm. And when she came out of that fog and got a job that she loved and less, left her husband that she didn't love and stopped eating little Debbie cakes. She was like, wow, I've lost like 20 pounds. And I'm like, Eureka. Um, but like if somebody like that recognizes that eating little Debbie cakes all day, every day is not good for them and they have a goal of losing weight, like there's no problem for that right. in my world. Right, right. And, you know, I'll just add as well that I think some of it, you know, the, one of the things we have to be really careful of in the kind of way that we talk about one another's bodies as women is also this thing of um, a competition really being part of a reinforcing mechanism that keeps women down. Because mm -hmm. when we're competing with one another and we're critiquing one another and we're attacking one another, we're not working together to lift one another up. And that in and of itself just maintains the status quo. So to me, I got asked this really curious question at a 
an event at the Eleanor Roosevelt Center at Valkill, of all places, when I was speaking there a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. uh, where someone, a, a, a wonderful older lady in the room, raised her hand and she said, I just don't understand why these teenage girls like Kim Kardashian running around in her kind of like tight little dresses and her see-through sort of stuff and like blah, 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 blah. And I looked at that woman and I said, you know, Kim Kardashian also runs a multiple hundred million dollar business every year. And maybe one of the things that we should be thinking about rather than critiquing how she looks or how she dresses or wondering why teenage girls are looking up to her it, because it's that is whether or not it might actually have something to do with the fact that she's built an enormous public profile and a thriving business that obviously captures a lot of attention. And that might be something interesting to look at, right? Um, yes. You know, so that in and of itself, it's like if what you're focused on is what this woman is wearing or, you know, what she looks like or her body or, her, you know, whatever, you're not actually talking about the substance of the human being, right? And for women in particular, when we're trying to lift each other up and we're trying to change society and culture and, you know, we're feminists and we're working together across intersectional lines, it's just so important that we're looking at who the person is and not their exterior because that in and of itself just reinforces all the messages that we're being given about us having to be at each other's heads right and right. Down, we're not lifting one another up so good <laughs> so with that elizabeth i want where's your favorite place for people to connect with oh you? so um so the daily resistance live broadcast is on my public page on facebook which is facebook.com slash elizabeth cronice mclaughlin just all one word mm -hmm. um and you can also find out everything there is to know about me at our website, which is GAIA Leadership Project, G-A-I-A, leadershipproject.com. And that goes through all of our corporate women's leadership work and all of our virtual women's leadership work and all of our broadcasting and everything else. And there's lots more there about me and my entire team. So amazing. We will put all those links below. And I know you're super busy. So thank you for dropping by for yeah. some there goodness. Thank you so much for having me. And we're finishing up with the segment that I call Bear Victories. This is where I share some posts, emails, and texts from women in my community to say congratulations and yay! Here's our Bear Victory. I'm going to read you some excerpts from an amazing testimonial email that a lovely woman named Amber from my Bear Daily membership community sent over. Um, she has such an amazing story. She is truly a phoenix rising. Amber writes about her childhood and how at a young age, she was shuffled around between family members and she was really given the message that she didn't matter. And as she grew up, she made many mistakes with men and thought that her life turned out pretty okay considering all of that. And then she writes, when I became pregnant with my own son, I promised to be the best mom that I could. I was now responsible for a human life and shaping him. I wanted him to know with absolute certainty that I loved him with all my being. I abandoned my circle of friends that I knew were not the influence I needed around my son or myself. I stopped smoking. I stopped my opioid addiction and had a perfectly healthy, sweet baby boy. As an adult, this, the story I created when I was younger was proven in my mind by how I had chosen to live my life and the deep regrets I had. And for years, I was morbidly obese. I went through periods of cutting myself to release pain, as I called it. I haven't had a best friend in years, and food was used in place of emotions. I didn't know how to sort through it all. 
I searched for answers everywhere as to why I have this problem with food. And on my billionth time trying to diet and being terrified of failing and just yo-yoing again, I stumbled onto a suggested Facebook ad for Susan Hyatt's Miracle Week. And desperate to feel any of the things she described in that ad, I joined the free group for the week. And in that week, I was faced with a lot of hard truths about how I had been treating myself. It hit me like a ton of bricks that all my life I've searched for this love like my grandpa had selfishly given me, yet I hadn't yet loved myself, not one bit. I made dear friends in Miracle Week who would tell me daily how I'm inspiring them. That can't be true, is the thought I had in my head. Who in the world would be inspired by this mess? And as Miracle Week came to an end, I was blessed with the miracle of a one-month membership to Bear Daily. Friends, This journey started in January 2018. In four months of working the steps and bare daily, I have had more healing than I could have ever hoped for. Before bear, I was so depressed, I couldn't even bring myself to shower regularly. I have a lot of work left to do, but I found a home with people who are just like me. They have felt a hole in their life that they couldn't fill because they didn't even know why the hole was there. Bear teaches us how to be attentive to what we're feeling and why. It teaches us how to create new thoughts instead of being reactionary to our original thoughts. It teaches us about the stories we have written for our lives up to this point and how to find the lies in that story so we can seek the truth. When you truly love yourself, you treat yourself so much differently. You sleep better, You don't turn to food to fix anything. So a natural side effect is a healthy body without dieting. You learn to do loving things for yourself, not for a transactional reason, such as I'll exercise to lose weight, but rather I will exercise in a way that feels like love because I know it's healthy for me. You'll learn how to truly find pleasure in your life. It amazes me that prior to bear, how I truly looked in all the wrong places to find pleasure, yet it was all around me. In fact, one of the questions that I now ask myself that is changing my life is, does it feel like love? That is an empowering question. Your home starts to become a sanctuary instead of a burden that stresses you out more. You begin to realize the things you have and are allowing into your life do make a difference, even if you didn't think so prior. You learn to love yourself right now, right where you are, no matter where you're at. You learn you don't need to hide or be ashamed anymore, that you are deserving and worthy. This family has been the biggest blessing to my life. It's giving me back my life. You don't know what you're missing until you find your tribe. No amount of words that I could put together could ever be adequate enough to explain to Susan how much Bear means to me and so many others. The best advice I can give is don't give up on yourself. My home and my body, it was all a reflection of what was happening inside of me because of the story I had created based on events in my life that were out of my control. My story doesn't end there, and neither does yours. Susan, I thank God for the gift of you to my life every day. Oh my God, I'm going to cry right here recording this. (laughs) Okay, that's all for this episode. If you want even more inspiration and motivation, you can visit my website, shyatt.com. You'll find hundreds of hours of podcast videos, webinar trainings, and all kinds of stuff 
all free, all for you, or you could join Bear Daily. You can also find information about that in the show notes. Have a beautiful day, and I'll see you in the next episode.